Hello, and welcome to the Alcohol Podcast, the podcast that says, once you pop, you can't stop. I'm EJ. I'm Beth. How are you, Beth? I'm delightful. You're delightful? I'm delightful. Well, that's weird. I don't find you very delightful at all. You've loved me. Okay, I do. But you know what else I love? I love beer. And since this is a heavy on the alcohol-centric podcast, and I did the brief, brief, totally abridged version of beer history on here, I thought, well, heck, we just had a holiday. We had a holiday. Yep, as of recording, six days ago, January 24th. In January 24th, 1935, that's the official birthday of the beer can. Woohoo! We love cans over bottles. I do, I do. I don't know why you do. Bottles are so wobbly. They're wobbly. But the idea of the beer can, it actually dates back to pre-prohibition. Which, again, remember, 18th Amendment. Boo! January 16th, 1920. Until cans came about, beer was bottled, kegged, or tapped from the source, like in bars or breweries, which I always thought was cool, you know, smacking that tap into the barrels and stuff. It but, couldn't have been refrigerated back then. Uh, most of it was right out of the, right out of the jug. I'm glad I live in the day and age I do. I like cold beer. The problem with canned beer, or, well, with canning beers, people were scared of it. People thought that a metal can like their canned tuna or whatever, would get a flavor leach from the metals. And the problem with distributing beer as far as Because aluminum nationally, wasn't the original canning? No, no. But the problem was with bottled beer is sunlight affects beer. Definitely affects beer. That's why a lot of beer cans are so opaque. Because it really does. And it's not as easy to ship in bottles. But... The American Can Company, they're the pioneers behind the canned beer. And the first cans were made of steel. What was the first beer to be canned? I'll let you know in just a second. Okay. Got to get the cans before you put something in it. But they were made of steel and they were keg-lined, which means they put a coating on the inside of the can so that the metallic flavor wouldn't leach into the beer. And these cans were called flat tops. Flat tops... And another kind of can, kind of in competition. Now, you still needed a church key to open them. And the first canned beer was Kruger's no Special Beer. Oh, no. Initially, no pop tops. Not for a long time. Really? Well, that doesn't sound very convenient. Yeah, but it's a lot more convenient to have beer in the pantry or the icebox or refrigerator than it is Bottles. to walk all the way downtown or whatever, you know depending on the distribution. I like having beer at home. And the alcohol content of that first beer was a whopping 3.2%. And that was the highest allowed by law at the time. Really? Yeah. You know, your standard American lagers and stuff, they're usually 4.5, 5.5. But at that time, yep. You had to was, drink a lot. Well, that's okay. In Jan- or, excuse me, July of 1935... The Pabst Brewing Company introduced its export beer in cans so it could stay competitive because it saw this little regional brewer, like, making bank with this canned beer. So it was Pabst Blue Ribbon that mass distributed first? Mm, No, because Schlitz also started canning beer, and so did Anheuser-Busch. But Schlitz uh, had a cone top can, 
it was like an oil can. It had a little point at the top to access the beer. It was more like a funnel than a flat-topped can. Interesting. And with licensing to a couple other uh, can companies because they just couldn't keep up with the demand, the American Can Company sold over 160 million cans in the first year alone. That's because people love beer. They surely do. Even super-duper low-alcohol content beer. In 1941... So six years, seven years, eight years, eight years after its introduction, over one billion cans of beer were sold. And that still only 10% of like the packaged beer sales. <laughs> it wasn't until the 60s that the sales of cans actually surpassed the bottles. Wow. Yeah. Well, people love their bottled beer too. And some beer you can still only get in bottles. True. From, from 1942 to 1947, however, the domestic beer can was put on hold due to the war effort. All the cans from this time were intended for shipment to the armed forces overseas. And they're all like olive drab, the pictures I saw, which is pretty cool. Painted up. Really? Yeah. All the different brands? Yep. Everything's. Did you still have a brand selection in the military I, or you were just happy to get beer? I would imagine. Uh, in the mid-50s, the flat top finally became the can of choice, mostly because they filled faster in the uh, factory and also because they could be stacked in the fridge, in the cupboard, in the, in the truck to transport them or the train car. They were just easier to move, so they kind of won out. And the first all-aluminum can was made by the Hawaii Brewing Company in 1958. Woohoo, Hawaii! Kind of, kind of a cool thing about that, had a paper label on it. Because they didn't have the the printed cans. So it was the can with like... Like a paper label, like a bottle would have, I assume. So it was like a Campbell's soup can almost. Sort of, yeah. But it was aluminum. And then the flat top can stayed about the same from 1933 to the early 60s. And that's when a guy named Ermel Fraze invented the zip top, which was the first self-opening beer that didn't require the use of a church key. And they were like uh, just a flat piece that was perforated. And you just grabbed them and yanked them off. <laughs> that sounds like it could be dangerous to drink it, out of. It was dangerous, actually. And they had room for improvement. Uh, the first improvement was a pole ring. So you didn't cut your fingers up. But you still had to take off the whole top. And these were called tap tops. Because you could yank that bad boy off and just get to drink. And you didn't have to go looking for any special tools. But in 1975, our current stay tabs were introduced to the joy of beer drinkers everywhere. You just pop that beer and get to drinking. You don't have to worry about throwing your tab onto the ground, which is what happened a lot. It was a big problem for beaches and places where people are barefoot. And then walking on them and... Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's a thin piece of steel and a little curve to it. You know, it's going to do some damage. People drinking and, at beaches. Who would have thought it? And I don't want to talk about the cab bottles today. The can bottles that some of the more modern. What about the fancy pop taps? What do you mean? Well, like Budweiser had their red crown shaped ones. Oh, well that's. Or even if you look into the pop industry, Mountain Dew had their green ones. Well, and... That's just paint. The, the Budweiser one has a crown pressed in the middle instead of an oval, but that's just. The it way was it's... awesome looking. That's just the way they were, like, 
process that wasn't anything to do with the way it functioned. Okay, I have another question then. With the low alcohol content for that was in canned beer. Yeah. What was the reasoning behind that? Was beer normally that low of an I'm, alcohol content? Uh, no. Yes and no. Our modern beers are a lot more potent than they were, especially like during colonial times, because in colonial times, people's diet consisted heavily of beer. Colonial America. The beer that they had then was a lower alcohol content than we're used to now. Because they weren't as patient and they wanted to drink it right away. Well, not only that, but, you know, as people had access to cleaner water and things like that, you know, beer didn't become a mainstay of the lifestyle and you didn't need it to stay hydrated. And they weren't drunk all the time, I don't think. Mm, I think I that need they beer were, to stay hydrated. I think that they were uh, maybe a little buzzed, though. <laughs> I hope. I have this, you know, kind of fantasy that George Washington and Ben Franklin always had a little buzz going on. Still not going to lie. Super happy that I live in an age with cold beer. True story. I'm just not accustomed to warm beer. And that's all part of just what you're used to. That's all it is. But that's actually all I need to say since you said you had a big topic. I tried to keep mine short and sweet here. I do. And actually, listeners, our family has been watching Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. <laughs> yes. Rewatching Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. And my loving husband likes to point out oddities that he sees on things so I can't unsee them. Well, it's incredibly predictable, too. Well, we're going off of Sully's bad dye job. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> and not gonna lie I've had some bad dye jobs home jobs do-it-yourself Hand- jobs never mind <laughs> we're not talking about haircuts I didn't say hair I said hand <laughs> that's not okay this is a family show but I decided to do a little research into the history of hair coloring and the proper terminology is <clears throat> Hard to come by. I know my hairstylist does not like to say that I'm dyeing my hair. She's like, are you killing it? And I'm not. Hmm. She prefers the term hair color. But in my research, the two terms seem to be interchangeable. There didn't seem to be a firm, it's called hair color, it's called hair dye. I feel like if if you're not bleaching it out, you're adding color. Right? I mean... Bleach was actually one of the earliest hair colors, but not the first. In 15,000 BC, the Egyptians were using henna coloring to hide their gray hairs. Sneaky. And a few years later, the Greeks and Romans were using plant extracts to change their hair colors. They were even able to create a permanent black hair dye, which black was the prominent hair color. Right. It covers all that gray. You look so natural, no one can tell. Sorry for them, though. They found out that their black hair dye job was actually toxic. A lot of old beautification techniques turned out to be pretty toxic. (laughs) Especially when you use things with lead or anything like that. Well, they were able to find out a new formula to use that would not necessarily kill them off as fast as their fast. As their first black hair dye. Well, that's good. Um, 
they changed their hair color by using a formula that was made of leeches that had been fermented fermented in a lead vessel for two months. Still the lead. Yeah, I'm sure it still killed them off in the end. I guess just not mm. as fast as their first. I couldn't find fermented out fermented leeches. I couldn't find out what their first toxic black hair dye was that was killing them off. But you know, they say beauty is pain. Yeah, it's also in the eye of the beholder, I guess. In 300 BC, if you lived in the Roman Empire and you happened to be a prostitute, you were required to have yellow hair to indicate your profession. Huh. Blondes um, have more fun. Well, to achieve this color, you had two choices at this point. You could wear a wig. Or you could use a mixture from ashes of burn plants or nuts to try to provide the proper hue to your color. Like making a lie, I suppose. Also during this same time period, the Saxtons and the Gauls were dyeing their hair different vibrant colors. The purpose was to show their ranks and to intimidate their opponents on the battlefield. Oh yeah, I could picture it. I'll come rolling out on a skateboard on the planks, rolling around. Everybody's all like, Rufio, Rufio. <laughs> I love it. I know that wasn't really his hair, was it? I think those were just like feathers or something stuck in there. But it had bright red, you know. It did, and it was intimidating. Yeah. Red is an intimidating color, which leads us into our next segment of the... Now, I don't know. Did you come across in your research? Because... You were in the Greeks and Romans, and wigs were very popular among the upper class. Yes, they were. Now, now were those dyed as well, or colored, or were they just whatever color? Because I know a lot of them were made from the hair of slaves. Do you, did you see anything about that? I or didn't look too far didn't into, go into the wigs. That? Okay, that's fine. Um, I'm assuming, though, that most of that was the color of right. the slave's hair. Wigs were a huge thing and have remained a huge hairstyle mainstay. I love mine. <laughs> you don't have a wig. I should. Um, we're going to move on to the gingers from 500 to 1580. And red hair was actually the result of a genetic mutation during the Dark Ages. And the very first documented case of natural-born redheads were in Scotland. Really? And actually, until Queen Elizabeth I took her throne and made having red hair more acceptable, many people were suspicious of redheads because they associated them with witchcraft. Well, I've heard that they don't have souls. All the freckles they have are the souls they've stolen. Thank you, Internet. We're going to move on to the 1800s now. We're just jumping right along here. There really hasn't been that much change in the hair coloring industry until recently, actually. Well, I'm sure. Modern chemistry, I'm guessing, played a large part of it. Yes, and actually an English chemist named William Henry Perkin was trying to create a cure for malaria. Is he who the Perkin shampoo is named after? I'm not sure. But instead of coming up with a cure for malaria, he came up with the first synthesized dye in 1863. 1863, that puts it right around Civil War era in the United States. So 
At that point, they didn't think it was caused by bad air anymore, hence the name malaria, mal-air, bad air. I'm not sure what exactly he was doing to try to cure this. Okay. But he, it was a mauve color that he came up with, and it was... Sometimes my phone changes maybe to mauve, and it drives me nuts. And it was actually named Mauveen mm, for the mauve-y. hair color, and it became quite popular. Ooh, you look so good in your Mauveen, darling. Okay, so we were just in the 1800s, and there were no significant changes until 1907. When Eugene Schuler was able to create the first chemical dye for commercial purposes. The company was originally called Arule, but would later be changed to the name of L'Oreal, which is still yeah. a, a popular hair color. I've had some L'Oreal color in my hair back in the day. Back when you didn't have a stylist. A personal stylist. I know. I love my personal stylist. (sighs) Must be rough. I have to borrow your personal stylist just to get a haircut. (laughs) Um, You'll be interested to know, in 1931, your good buddy Howard Hughes... Yes. ...actually had an impact in the hair color industry. Him and Gene Harlow... Yeah. ...came out with the movie Platinum Blonde. Mm Mm-hmm. And he actually went in with a company to capitalize on it, on her hair coloring. And many fans, after seeing the film, decided to start changing their hair color to platinum blonde. Well, he was a pioneer in many fields, not just aviation. An interesting side note that I found, though, was that Jean Harlow never did admit to dyeing her hair. So whether that was her natural color, the platinum blonde, or whether she had a really good stylist that kept up on her roots, it's hard to say. Um, we're going to jump to the 1950s now. Mm-hmm. To Marilyn Monroe? No, actually, I don't have anything to say on her. Holy smokes. Um, before the 50s, though, although this might coincide with her. If you wanted to have blonde hair, it would involve damaging your hair by using bleach to get the color you wanted, which was actually an absence of color by bleaching your hair. Right. And I remember reading a book, and I, the title escapes me now. It's been probably 20 years since I read this book. But it was about a group of, it was like, I don't know if they were gang members or what, it was two factions I remember but it was a group of African American teens and they used gasoline and lye to dye their hair blonde oh that sounds horrible and couldn't have smelled good no the, the book was very good though I wish I could remember the title of it I'm sorry listeners if anybody knows please let us know I'm sure you would be able to point me in the right direction uh, industry jump though in this time period was that in the 50s the Clarial company introduced the first one step hair dye product that would lighten your hair without having to bleach it it was called Miss Clarol hair color bath <laughs> that's a mouthful <laughs> this was also a big advancement for hair coloring because you were able to do this privately privately at home on your own so you didn't have to let your neighbors and everybody know that you were changing your hair color because nobody would notice. They would never know that all of a sudden you're 16 shades lighter. 
They wouldn't. They'd be like, wow, my new glasses came at just the right time. I didn't know your hair was so vibrant and bright. Although, you know, with the whole blonde thing, back in my young, younger years, I can remember trying to achieve blonde hair at home with box coloring. Well, you're great at following instructions, so I can't imagine that this went well. It always kind of had a greenish tint to it. Instructions are important, people. <laughs> um, we're going to move on to the 1960s and 70s now. And Free love. Actually, the Beatles. The year 1968 was the very last year for Americans having to state their hair color for their passports. Really? Yeah, because of the changing of your hair color had become so commonplace that it wasn't a staple for identifying you anymore. Well, that makes sense, but it's still on other other documents like driver's licenses. Yeah, and my like driver's that. license and my hair color do not coincide right now. Mine do. <laughs> we haven't colored your hair in a really long time. It was red last year. Yeah, I guess it was that yeah. awesome mohawk. Well, Jake liked his mohawk, and I wanted to match him because he didn't want it by himself. I'm a good dad. Um, it was actually in the Just '70s. Turned pink. <laughs> that companies were using advertising such as L'Oreal's slogan "Because you're worth it" to continue on hair coloring's growth and popularity. That it was an extravagant thing. That you're worth it. Do something to make right. yourself feel good. Yeah, treat yourself. And I'm sure that uh, they had some help from very popular television shows like The Brady Bunch. All those girls were blonde. But also, I think probably the biggest one I can think of from that era was Charlie's Angels, like Farrah Fawcett. Her hair was incredibly trendsetting. It was. And actually, it wasn't until the 1980s, other than when we got into Howard Hughes and Jean Harlow that the different hair color companies started securing endorsements for their products from celebrities. And that's still something today. Okay, let me try and guess. From the 80s. I don't know. I'm guessing Joan Jett didn't really line up for the black hair color. Sybil Shepard was one of the ones but that... I'm sure her and... Oh, who else? Maybe like Rhea Perlman with her red locks or... I'm trying to think... Gosh, that could be, it could be anyone. My Lord. What's, what's the girl that you love from all your, uh, heartthrob movies? The Brat Pack girl with her. She had natural red hair. Right. But a product endorsement. I can't endorsement. remember her name though. Oh gosh, Beth. Sorry. Horrible with names. Um, the next major step in hair color history really didn't hit until May of 2014. Holy Toledo. And that's when celebrities started sporting the vibrant colors. Ah, uh, yes. The teals, the neon pink, your, the blues. Your Katy Perry, Nicki Minaj. Which Bright those, green, bright everything. Those colors had been around before but they were not socially acceptable in 2014 is when celebrities started sporting them and they started becoming mainstream mainstream 
Um, today there's so many different techniques between the ombre, the balayage, the oil slicks, the tortoise shell hair. I have, I have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> and the different colors to choose from. My hair's a reverse balayage right now. Okay. I believe you. <laughs> doesn't doesn't ombre mean guy? Fellow? Dude? No. Ombre is a different way of coloring. It's no. a different... I disagree. I think maybe it's a technique, but it's also something entirely different. There's a Western called Ombre. How was it spelled? H-O-M-B-R-E. Well, this is spelled S-O-M-B-R with the dash above it E. Sombre? No, it's pronounced Ombre. Oh, for the love of Pete. At least according to my hairstylist. Well, my name is EJ, but it's spelled Q-W-E-X-Y-Y-Z-Z-Z. <laughs> Um, there's, right. <laughs> there's been also many options for temporary hair colors that can be bought at stores or even... Yeah, like the stuff that you, you get in the can and cover up your bald spot. <laughs> I think that's an infomercial not bought at stores. Oh, as seen on TV section at Target and Shopco. Don't forget Wally World. <clears throat> well... What about the stuff you use for Halloween? The spray can? Yeah. Yeah, you could totally doctor your hair up. Or even tinting your hair with Kool-Aid. Yeah, I've seen that done too. Or popular with people more so in the early 2000s, it's still around now, is the hair chalk or the hair mascara that you could put the colors in your hair temporarily if you weren't brave enough to do permanent. I'm not brave enough. And even more so along that lines, if you weren't feeling it for a whole time effect, was clip-ins. Right. And those are still a thing. Uh-huh. Of bright colored. And, and and you had the feathers, too. Yes. The feathers were awesome. Other than I had like, issues keeping them in my hair. For like a year. <laughs> and then everybody's like, I've decided I'm not going to be a bird person anymore. I want to be a mermaid. And then they have rainbow colored hair now. Correct. Um, <laughs> I'm correct. Hair coloring Jamie. has actually become much more mainstream. And some jobs no longer hold requirements, but other jobs do for oh, yeah. natural hair coloring. Okay, so how does that work when you've got the little old lady that's like, with the tinted blue hair out for retirement blue or purple <laughs> there's a slight tint to it and you you're like oh yeah you grew that yourself it looks awesome i'm gonna be one of them little old ladies with the blue hairs blue hairs is a common term actually i, I am aware but young people are dying their hair silver and gray too <laughs> actually i saw a that's coming out of trend. That was more so last year. I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so behind the times. Oh, my God. Yeah, but I just saw somebody today, actually, when I was purchasing supplies for our podcast. <laughs> would those supplies be beer? Yes. <laughs> yes, they would. But she couldn't have been more than 18 or 19, I'm guessing. And she had, like, silver, silver. Well, let's get a little nostalgic here. I remember my first hair coloring experience. And I know you had the... You love your nostalgia. Blonde out thing going on. Oh, yeah. Hey, at the end of the 90s, hey, that was the thing. You 
frost them tips, you blonde that shit out. Did you do that Pardon yourself or did somebody help you? Uh, for the most part, I had to have help. Who helped you? I'm not talking about it because you'll get all mad. Ah. Other people that weren't boys. <laughs> my sister helped me with my first hair experience under penalty of death that I not tell my parents that she helped me. I don't have a sister or an older sibling. My brother is 17 years younger than me. He was no help. I was like, will you help me? And he pooped his pants. <laughs> and that was last week. Um, I had a very dishwater, blondish, brownish hair, natural hair color. And the very first time I decided to color my hair and I convinced my older sister to help me, I went with a very vibrant auburn. And what happened? My mom noticed it a lot sooner than I thought she was gonna. Well, you're, you're like, I'm the ghost rider. These are the flames. Did you give her the penance stare? Um, it did not end well for me. How old were you at this time? Uh, 13, maybe 14. But they sold it at the drugstore, so I was able to buy it on my own. Right. And my hair has been colored pretty much permanently since then, one way or another. Do you remember when Dennis Rodman was quite popular and everybody's like, oh, much as he dyes his hair, his hair's all going to fall out. It's just going to die and he's going to be bald. He still has hair. He does still have But he's also friends with Kim Jong-un. Best friends? They're, they're like buddies, yeah. He goes over and visits yeah. North Korea, which I'm like, okay, that's a that's a very like buddy cop comedy kind of thing. It's just, totally yeah. unrelated, but he always reminds me off of Ruby Rod oh, off of the yeah, fifth, the fifth element. element. Like, for some reason, Ruby Rod always reminds well, me. Well, because he did the dramatic hair... <laughs> Well, style changes too, along with the color, because he had like a leopard print and a bright white, and that's a good movie. <laughs> He's a great character, actually. I have him uh, as a ringtone for one of my friends <laughs> because of one night when he would not shut up. <laughs> Fish stick. But hair coloring <sighs> is definitely not going away, and advances are still being made. There's different brands. That produce different vibrant colors. I know that I'm a brand jumper when we color my hair. Right. I saw on Facebook for the girl who's all natural, who doesn't want to shave her armpits, that they have armpit hair dye. Yeah, I'm not okay with that. I'm thinking about doing it to myself. Uh, if we're going to do that to your armpits, then I want to glitter beard you. You ain't glitter bearding me. I said ain't. That's how sincere I am. <laughs> But, you know... I will sneeze. Along that lines, I didn't even research into the whole male side aspect of hair coloring. That there's products out there just for the male... You mean just for men? Correct! Yeah, I've never used those. I have, just a touch of gray. I, I have a touch of gray. Like, five touches. <laughs> it's like I get hit by the gray truck. I have a touch of color. How's that sound? I have a picture of the very first gray hair. I'm a silver fox. I ever found on my head. Her friends told me. Uh, I told you that my friends said that. And I called them out on it and they all got embarrassed. It was awesome. You are a silver fox. I'm glad. I'm in good company with Sam Elliott and Sean Connery. <laughs> I'm glad you don't have just a mustache, though. 
Me too. Because you couldn't glitter beard me then. And then when I sneeze, it looked like the tootin' but glitter troll. But you told me I wasn't allowed to glitter beard you. You know, along the whole lines of beard manicuring, you know, they make ornaments and stuff that you can hang tangent. on there at Christmas time. We went on a tangent. <laughs> I could make your beard so pretty. I will not have you hanging ornaments in my beard. <laughs> it might be fun. Not for me. <laughs> I would laugh. Uh, not for me, again. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, do you have anything else, Beth? No, I'm good now. <laughs> uh-huh. Sure you are. For the moment. Okay. If you want to get in touch with us, you can get a hold of us through uh, our email, which is alkaha at gmail.com. We also have Facebook and Twitter pages, which Facebook... Is Alcaha Podcast, and Twitter is at alkaha underscore podcast and we love hearing feedback um also if you would go ahead and rate us or review us on whatever pod catching service you like give us a like some stars whatever stitcher uh itunes whatever you listen to us on we'd really appreciate it feel free to follow us on facebook and twitter we post random stuff it doesn't always coincide with our podcasts but on that note I'm EJ. I'm Beth. Oh, and one more thing. What is the name of that book? For the love of... Oh, it's I've been thinking drive about, you insane. I've been thinking about it since I brought it up, and I still can't remember. Okay, guys. We'll see you later. Cheers. Bye.